Well, listen, I'm excited this morning. want to give Pastor Joel plenty of time to minister the word. He's with us this morning and will be with us Wednesday night. Uh, this teaching we've actually been talking about for about two or three years. So I'm excited you finally decided to show up and teach it. And uh, you'll notice that Glenn right over here, this is his son-in-law. And he is a, a good man of God and works very hard at the church. Uh, just about three weeks ago, <clears throat> Joel and I were sitting in the uh, plaza there right across from Tivoli having coffee. It was 56 degrees out. It was wonderful. It was glorious. And I enjoyed every bit of it. And Joel said, I can't wait to be in Florida where it'll be in the 90s and hot. Well, you got it. And I'm glad that you love it. It was, thank you for sharing your cold. We will share our heat. Hallelujah. Listen, I'm so glad that he's here today. Would you welcome Pastor Joel to our pulpit again? Amen. Thank you so very much. What a pleasure it is to be here again at Harvest. We have looked forward to it. It's, uh, it's always a highlight to come and, and share with you and to, and to share the fellowship that we have. I know we say it every time we come and we talk about it, but it is truly something special. The fellowship that God has given this congregation and our congregation. And the strange thing is you never see our congregation and they never see you. But the fellowship in the kingdom of God is amazing. It's amazing. The spirit is the same. The Jesus, Jesus is the same. And the fellowship that we have, have among our, fellow, uh, our congregations and especially between myself and Pastor Marvin has been a pleasure and a, an encouragement through the years. Um, Dawn has pointed out many, many times through the years that how we two ever got to know each other and become friends is kind of strange, actually. Because if you chose two opposites, it would be me and Pastor Marvin. If you, if you had a definition of two opposites, we would be the poster children of that, right? I mean, you know Pastor Marvin. He's your great pastor, and I love him dearly. And he is just so organized, I mean, everything is written down. You know, everything is just, oh, it's just so good. And Brittany asked me before service, what's the title of your sermon? Well, <laughs> I'll give you a title, but I'm not sure I'll say anything about it. Because I'm the exact opposite. Where I go, no man knows. So my team is always frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> but this morning, I want to share a little bit because as Pastor Marvin was, was talking about on Wednesday night, um, I'm going to come back and I'm really honored and thankful and grateful that I can come and, and share something that has meant an incredible amount for me in my life and in my ministry and, and, and myself and Pastor Marvin have spent many evenings and he's been in Copenhagen over a cup of coffee discussing what God has, has revealed and how God works in our lives. And I want to share that with you. So I hope those uh, that have the possibility and the opportunity on Wednesday night can come 
and give us a couple of hours so we can share this. But this morning, I kind of want to bring an introduction to it all, and I want to talk a little bit about the patterns of God, the patterns in the kingdom of God. You know, it, it, the patterns that God has laid down in, in nature, the patterns that God uses in his word are there to bring guidance to us, but it's also there to bring healing to us. And sometimes we don't always understand what's going on. Now, you've heard Pastor Marvin tell about his trip to Copenhagen, not this time, but the time before, and the marvelous experience that he had that Saturday afternoon. Copenhagen is a, is a, a special time uh, or a special place in a very special time in our, in our history. We're living in very trying times. We're living in very challenging times. We're living in times when the world is changing, where paradigms are shifting, where we are seeing things that we never thought we would see, things that are, are manifesting themselves. And Copenhagen is one of the crossroads and always has been in the history of Europe. And we see things today that are truly, they're amazing, but at the same time they are extremely challenging. But God uses those opportunities to make us grow. And you heard Pastor Marvin tell, tell the story, but he only told it from his side. I want to tell it from my side. So you heard it from the organized side. I want you to hear it from my side. No, we had a wonderful afternoon, but it was one of those afternoons that you would never dream that God could ever show up and do something. Right, we met up, they, the, the Ukrainian church, they meet on Saturday afternoons. And I don't think anything worked that day. And if it did work, they broke it. And everything was just chaos. Everything was just, it was, everything was out of order. And myself and Pastor Marvin, we were sitting on the front row and everything was just going from bad to worse. And we were about, what, 45 minutes in to the service at this point in time when the pastor gets up. Now, the pastor of the Iranian church, of the Ukrainian church, sorry, is actually Iranian. He was born and raised in Iran. He got saved at a very early age in an underground church. He moved to the Ukraine to study medicine, became a doctor, really met God and really gave his life to God in Ukraine. And there he began through, through the churches there and through Youth for Christ um, um, and uh, began to develop, began to lead a congregation. And then when the war broke out, he was a doctor at one of the hospitals in the first city that was overrun by the Russians. And I mean, he stood with his colleagues as they chose who they would martyr and who they would not martyr. And he saw colleagues raped, killed in front of their very eyes. And he fled and he come to Copenhagen and he's a very broken man. He suffers from PTSD. He suffers from different emotional scars that he has, that he has to deal with, that we deal with on a daily basis. But he's got a heart for God. He's got a heart for God. And that afternoon, he got up and began to 
to share a little bit with that. And, and Pastor Marvin, he's on the docket to preach. And um, as I mean, begins to share this message that God has laid on his heart, a message of forgiveness. I hear out of the corner of my ear a noise. And I look over and Marvin is a puddle. I'm telling you, he is sitting in chair with his elbows on his knees. And he is just sobbing. <laughs> and I say, Marvin, are you okay? And he says, no. I'm not okay. Okay, so I let him alone for a few minutes. And I mean, just kept on sharing and the Holy Spirit was so present. And I looked over at Marvin and he's still a puddle. And I said, Marvin, you got to say something in a few minutes. You got to preach. Get yourself together. <laughs> of which he replied, I have nothing to say. <laughs> I have absolutely nothing to say. Well, you better find something to say because you're on the docket and I'm not getting up there. <laughs> of which he did and the Holy Spirit moved in a mighty way. But, as we've talked about so many times after that, what God did in our lives was even greater by using the patterns of the kingdom of God. You know, Matthew 16, the Pharisees, they say to Jesus, give us a sign. Show us. I mean, Jesus answers them by saying, you know, you can tell me and show me the patterns that God has laid down in nature. You can tell me what the weather's going to be like this afternoon or when it's going to rain. You can tell me the patterns that you see around you. You can tell, you can tell me about the things that God has designed. You can tell me about the things that God has given us, the models that God has laid down in nature. You can tell them because you know them so very well, but you cannot tell me what the models and the patterns of the kingdom of God are. You can't tell me what God's doing in your life. You can't tell me what God is working with to bring you to a place where he wants to use you. Paul, he says it like this in, a, in a, a verse that means the world to me. In Romans, the 12th chapter, the second verse. He says, don't be conformed by the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? So that you can begin to see things differently. You can begin to see what God is doing. So that you can be able to see what God wants to do in our lives. What God's will is. What he's going to do in our lives. How he's going to lead us. We're not always led through times in our lives that we choose to go through. Sometimes we are in the middle of something that we don't understand. The most incredible thing for me in my own life. And this morning it will be a very personal message to set the stage for what I'll teach on Wednesday night. But in my own life, I have experienced the instantaneous healing of God when the Spirit of God comes over you and heals you just like that. There's nothing I love more than to, to lay hands on people and pray. Why? Because we are guaranteed that our Father in heaven hears us and he heals us. By his stripes, we are healed. We believe it, we stand on it, we practice it, we do it, 
And God is faithful. But I think through the years, I have come to cherish the patterns that God has laid down. That has led me through. That has put me in a place where God wanted me to be. The healing that he has done in my life over many, many years so that he could use me where I am today. I would have never dreamed that I would pastor where I pastor today. You could have never convinced me that I would have ever been in the situation that I, was in, that I am in. Here in the fall, we had, where's my water? I'm going to need my water. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. In the fall, we have, a, we have a ministry that outreaches to, to refugees in, in Copenhagen. And the leaders brought a, young, a couple, a mother and a daughter, to me. And the mother, she's about 50 years old. The, the daughter's about 30 and she come to me and she, she said, Pastor, we're from Cairo, Egypt. And we're Coptic Christians. I don't know if you're familiar with what Coptic Christians are, but we read in, in Acts where Philip, he went to Ethiopia or he met the Ethiopian uh, uh, officer of the queen and where he established the church that's now in Egypt and in northern Africa and they're called Coptic Christians. And she said, Pastor, we're Coptic Christians, but we had to flee. Persecution is becoming too much to bear. And in that moment, as I tell you this story, God began to remind me of the healing that he'd done in my life so that I could stand in that place at that time and minister to those people. Because she said, Pastor, we've come here because we heard that Denmark is a Christian country. And now we're facing other challenges that we don't understand and we just don't know what to do. And I said, well, what, what is the situation? Why did you have to flee? And she said, well, we had to flee, but, but my husband wasn't allowed to leave. He was denied the opportunity of leaving. And she said, Pastor, my 19-year-old son was kidnapped by Islamic radicals. He was tortured and he was killed. And she wept, obviously. And I wept. And we wept. And we just embraced each other and we wept. And I asked her, I said, I don't want to be forward or anything, but how do you know that your 19-year-old son didn't deny Jesus? And she said, Pastor, she said when they pulled him out of the Nile River, we could see the torture on his body. And we know the process that they go through. And that that killed him was the last thing they would do if you didn't deny your Savior. So she said, Pastor, I'm hurting, but I know my son is with Jesus forever. And in that moment, God reminded me of the things that I had gone through. And he called my attention to, to Luke, the third and fourth chapters, and it's, it's a passage that we read so very often. But sometimes we read it very quickly and we lose sight of some of the patterns that God has laid down. 
We read about Jesus. He's beginning to enter his ministry. We read it in Mark first chapter. We read it in Matthew third chapter. But it's the time when Jesus comes to John and he's going to be baptized. And it says that, that Jesus comes and he's baptized and then he's sent out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and then he comes back to Galilee. And oftentimes we read that and we, we, we read it from Matthew's perspective where Matthew, when he sees Jesus, he says, there's the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. We read it from, from the perspective that John says to Jesus, Jesus, it's not me that should baptize you, but you should be baptizing me. But the interesting thing is that Jesus, he responds to John, and he says, no, for righteousness' sake, for righteousness' sake, in other words, for the right way of thinking, in seeing life in the right perspective, in knowing the patterns of God, John, you have to baptize me. And then we read it, that he's sent out into the wilderness and he's tested by, by Satan and then he's brought back and he begins his ministry in Galilee. But the pattern that God uses is the pattern that he uses in our lives. The pattern is the Jordan, the wilderness, and Galilee. Sometimes we lose sight of what God's talking about when he's talking about spiritual things in a physical context. But he gives us the physical context so that we can understand what's happening. On the day of Pentecost, we read it every Pentecost Sunday, right? Acts 2, what happened? They heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. They saw the Holy Spirit as fire and it filled them. A pattern that God uses. We hear, we see, we act. And when you begin to compare that to what the world tells us today, we begin to see how different God is from what the world does. Because the world today wants us to see things first. Have you ever heard anybody say, I'm visual? You ever heard that? I learn. I learn by seeing. I'm visual. That's not the way we're created. We're created to hear. We're created to hear. Why? Because when God created the universe, he spoke. And when he spoke, everything that was created was created to hear his voice. So if the devil wants to cheat you out of a blessing, what does he do? He convinces you that you can't learn by hearing, that you have to see it. Because if you can't hear what God's doing, you'll miss the blessing. You'll go through life waiting to see it. And you won't hear him when he calls. The pattern that God uses for Jesus to start his ministry is the pattern that he uses for us all. First, we must go to the Jordan, which was in Judea. John was down at the Jordan, not far outside of, of Jerusalem. Then he sends us to the wilderness. Wednesday night will be mostly about the wilderness, will be all about the wilderness. And then he sends us back to the Galilee. Jesus started in Judea at the Jordan. He went to the wilderness. He comes back to the Galilee. That is the pattern that we have to get a hold of. That's the pattern that we have to understand. 
That's the pattern that we need to understand how God works in our lives. Because when Jesus says to John, John, for righteousness sake, you have to baptize me. What Jesus is showing us and telling us is that it's at the Jordan, that's where everything starts. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching, the crowd says, what are we to do? And what does he say? Repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a central point part of what we believe that God is going to do in our lives. Unfortunately, through the through the years of time and through the time of tradition, baptized, baptizing has become an act or an action that we use to join a church. That's not why we're baptized. Because baptism in its fundamental understanding is forgiveness. When we are baptized, what are we? We are buried with Christ. And we are raised with Christ to a whole new life. If we're not aware of the fact that we have to forgive, then we will never go into the healing that God has for our lives. John, David, he says in Psalms 121, he says it like this. The last verse of Psalm 121. And Psalms 121 is one of those Psalms of ascents. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that, but Psalm 120 to 134 represent the psalms that were quoted by the priests in the second temple time. They were quoted by the priests when the priests were called to minister. They would come to to Jerusalem and they would first be baptized. They would be washed of their sins. And then they would enter the temple place by going up the 15 steps and they would quote these psalms as they went up the steps. And when they got to the top, then they were ready to serve as priests in the temple. And so in Psalms 121, that's the psalm where where David, he writes, I look to the mountains. I look to the mountains where my help comes. But my help doesn't come from the mountain, he says. My help comes from my God. You see, we, we as, as people, we always want to look to something. Give us a mountain, right? Give us a, a leader. Give us something we can look at. And we think there's help and help there. That's not where it's at. Our help comes from our Father who speaks to us. And we hear his voice. Like Elijah in the cave, it was a still, quiet voice. But I heard him. In the last verse of Psalm 121, David, he says, God will bless, he will keep, he will preserve, he will will form, he will use a pattern, he will bless our going out and our coming in. Now, Pastor Marvin mentioned it this just a few minutes ago about the different translations. And it's interesting how translation changes through times. Because this verse has been discussed Many, many times. And in different translations, you will see it translated differently. In some translations, I believe it's the NIV, it says, he blesses your coming and your going. But the reason that it's so discussed is because David writes it grammatically incorrect. He writes it wrong. In the Hebrew, 
It is God. He always blesses your coming in and your going out. David, he writes it backwards. He said, no, God will bless your going out and your coming in. Why does he say that? Because forgiveness is the start of everything. If you're not willing to lay it down and go out of it, you'll never be able to come into what God has for you. David wants you to go out of the old to come into the new. If you're not willing to go out of the old, you'll never come into the new. And we get caught in the old. We get caught in the struggles of life, the things that we've fought with, the things that we've experienced through life. We get caught in them. And the devil will use whatever he has to to hold you. In 1970, I was eight years old. My parents were pastoring First Assembly of God in Winter Haven, Florida. At that point in time, it was the third largest church in the, in the Assemblies of God in the state of Florida. And God called my parents to the mission field. God called my parents to be pastors of Evangelistic Temple in Nassau, Bahamas. That led them on a journey, basically the rest of their lives that was in missions. At that point in time, I was in the second grade. We moved to, the, to Nassau in the Bahamas, and I was put into a Catholic school, and there wasn't any room in the second grade, and there wasn't any room in the third grade. So they put me in the fourth grade. Okay? Unfortunately, they put me in a class with a teacher that was abusive. And she abused us. We were about 35, and there was a couple of us young boys that she abused. She abused us emotionally. She abused us physically. My friend, she abused sexually. She never abused me sexually. She only abused me physically because she knew who I was. And that shame I fought with more than anything else through the years. Why couldn't I stop what happened to him? Right? That was at eight years old. In the next 15 years, God moved our family to seven different countries. Seven different cultures. Seven different ways of doing things. Seven different ways of treating people. And by the time I got married at 23 years old, I was frustrated. I was asking God some serious questions. I had been moved. I had been abused. I had been forgotten. And I met my wife, Anamita, and we got married. And Anamita comes from Denmark. And it became clear after we got married that it was best if we moved back to Denmark. And so we did. And that was the seventh country. One more time, I stood at zero. I had just finished up my bachelor's degree in economics from Florida Atlantic University. I had finally got to the place where I thought I was getting ahead. And there I stood, back at zero. And when I say zero, I mean zero. Because Anna had to go ahead of me. She went a couple of months ahead of me. And so when I got there, she had already enrolled me in, in language school. And when I met up 
the first day for language school, we were sent to the end of the school where the kindergarten met. So there I was with the kindergarten students. Back to zero. And I was frustrated. I was frustrated. I didn't know why God would do that. God, what are you trying to do? Do you want to destroy me for the ministry of my father? Is that really what you're after? And one day, me and Animator, we had an apartment downtown Aarhus, and, and it, it, my frustration got out of hand, and I knew I had to get out of that apartment. And I walked out of the apartment and down the stairs and went out the door and was standing on the, the sidewalk outside of the apartment building. And the Holy Spirit stopped me. And the Holy Spirit said, if you go to the right, you will go downtown. And you'll get on a train. And nobody will ever hear from you again. And I knew that was true. But if you'll go to the left, you'll go into the forest. And I'll meet you there. Now, I didn't have any reason to think that I was going to meet God. At that point in my life, I didn't believe it. But I said, I'll do it. And it was in that forest that afternoon that God revealed to me that if you don't let it go, you'll never go out of it so you can come into what I've got for you. Standing in front of Blanche and Sarah in the fall, listening to their story. All of my experiences and all of the different cultures and all of the different ways of doing things and all of the things that I was come to a point where I could embrace them. And they could feel the love of Jesus because we had been through similar things. You see, it's not that God wants you to go through it. It's that God will use what you go through to heal you if you will allow him. So at the Jordan, we lay it down. At the Jordan, we forgive it. At the Jordan, we are baptized. We're buried with Christ so we can be raised with Christ. And then God sends us to the wilderness. He doesn't send us to the wilderness as a punishment. He sends us to the wilderness for healing, to find direction. That's what Jesus does. He finds direction. Satan, he tempts him in the desert. And Jesus, he quotes God's word. Jesus, he finds his direction in the, in the desert. But listen, a will that is broken will never ride straight. If you're not healed, you'll never find direction. So God sends us to the wilderness to heal us. If you remember the children of Israel, when they come out of Egypt, they come to Kadesh Barnea, in the desert of Paran, in the southern part of Israel. And if you want to know why that's important, you'll have to come Wednesday. But they come to the southern part of what is Israel today, and you all know the story. They sent the 12 spies, the 12 scouts that went into Israel, and the 10 came back and said, it's impossible. Right? Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can do this. But the 10... They said it's impossible. 
What did they say? You ever noticed what they said? They said, if we go in there, these people will devour us. It was fear they were peddling. What keeps you from going out of the old and into the new? It's fear. Israel was coming out of Egypt. God wanted them to go into the promised land, but fear stopped them. But God is a merciful God. God sent them into the desert. He had to deal with them in the desert. And in the desert, he gives us the pattern of healing. The second chapter of Numbers, which is the chapter we will deal with on Wednesday night. In the second chapter of Numbers, God speaks to Moses and he says to Moses, I want you to encamp Israel in a special pattern. And I want this for now and always to be the pattern that Israel encamps. And not only that, when I heal them, when they move out, they are also to move out in this order, always and forever. Because we want to walk in the healing flow of the Almighty God. Okay, that's where we want to live. We want to be in God's will. But to be in God's will, we have to open ourselves for God's healing. To be able to take care of all of that that we've come through. To take care of all of the issues that we're dealing with. And I'm just going to quickly give you a a few high points. Then, like I said, Wednesday we'll go deeper in. But the first thing that God says to Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle in the center of the encampment. That's where I will live. You know, in the world we live in, we hear a lot about priorities, don't we? You ever notice that? What's your priorities? God never asked you to make a priority list. Our priority list goes, goes a little bit like this. Yours may be a little different, but this is the one I grew up with. God first, wife second, family third, job fourth. That's great. But how can I love my children less than I love my wife? My problem is not with God. Sometimes my problem is not with my job. But how can I love my children less than I love my wife? I'll give my life for those kids. But see, God never asked us to make a priority list. God, he asked us to build him a tabernacle in the middle of our lives. And he says something to Moses. He says, I want you to build this tabernacle. And I want you to put it at equal distance from everyone in the encampment. I want to be the very core of your existence. You see, because life can get messy sometimes. And as I've told you, Copenhagen can be a very challenging place. And sometimes I'm faced with situations that I am not prepared for that are overwhelming. And people contact me and say, Pastor, can you meet with me? Listen, I can't say, well, I'm sorry, but you're number five on my priority list. Number two priority is taking... I can't do that. But see, when you put God in the middle of your life with everything at equal distance around it, then you're equally loved in all directions. And when you're equally loved in all directions, 
then there's equal grace to be given. And so I can say to my family, my kids in Anamita, I can say, look, these people, and they say, go and minister. Because God's at the center of our lives. He is that which we have built our lives around. That is where our healing begins. Our healing begins with throwing away the patterns of this world and understand the patterns of God. God doesn't want you to make a list. He wants to be the center of everything you do. He wants to be the center of your home, the center of your marriage, the center of your children, the center of your church, the center of your town. Everything centered around God the Most High. And the incredible thing is God said to Moses, if you will do that, I will live in your midst. Why why does the devil want you to make a priority list? Because if you make a priority list, God's not going to live in it. God says, I will live in the tabernacle that you place where I told you to place it, in the middle of the encampment. God, let us be your people. He says to Moses, Moses, I want you to start on the east side. I see, if we talk about a compass, what do we talk about? We talk about north, south, east, and west, right? Does anybody have another option? That was the one I grew up with, right? North, south, east, and west. Immediately, God says, that's not my compass. My compass is east, south, west, and north. And if you don't understand that, you'll never be able to find direction in your life. You'll never be able to find the healing that you need so that I can lead you where I want you to go. Because on the east side is a new beginning. Where does the sun rise? In the east. It's in the east where God begins everything. In the Garden of Eden, when we sinned and turned our backs on God, where did he send us? He sent us from the, to the east, right? What did he put at the gate to keep us from coming back in the Garden of Eden? The Holy Spirit. So in order to enter into the Garden of Eden again, we have to come from the east toward the west. That's God's pattern. You can't discuss that. In the east is where we get grace and forgiveness. It's a new day. It's a new chance. chance. And God says to Moses, I want you to put Judah on the east side, the number one. Judah was not the firstborn of Jacob. But Judah is the first to be encamped on the east side. Why? Because Judah is praise. If you want healing in your life, then begin to praise him. Begin to lift him up. David starts Psalm 121 by saying, where does my help come from? It doesn't come from that mountain. It comes from me lifting my eyes to my Savior, to my Savior, to my King, to my God. Because healing begins with praise. And as we praise, he puts Judah, he puts Ishakar. And he puts Zebulun on the east side. Because as we pray, and I'll get into the details, but as we pray Wednesday, but as we pray, and as we praise him, and as we lift him up, God begins to give back all that Satan has stolen from us. 
it lays implicit in the pattern that God laid down for Israel. That if we will lift him up, then he will give us life. If we will lift us him up, he will give us back all that the enemy has stolen from us. We begin to praise him. When he begins to give back, but it all hinges on Issachar because his name it literally believes it means you have to believe it you have to do it just do it have you ever noticed how difficult it is for us people to praise God to enter into worship I'm not commenting on anybody we all have our different ways and our different styles and before God it's okay but it has been remarkable for me to notice through the years. It doesn't matter where I'm at in the world. And I have preached all over this globe. From Africa to Nepal to Europe to America to the Caribbean. It's always the same. It's the hardest for people to lift their hands and praise God. It's the hardest. And I have heard every excuse in the book as to why. But Ishikar means just do it. Don't argue with God. Just begin to praise Him. Father, I just love you. I don't understand anything you're doing. But I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to lift you up. I'm just going to praise you. On the south side. He puts... Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Reuben is his son on the, on, the le, on the right side. David says in Psalm 110, he says, My Lord said to the Lord, Set at my right hand until I put all of the enemies under your foot. The interesting thing is, and the reason that that provokes the Pharisees so much when Jesus quotes it, is that there's two words used for, for the Lord. The first is Elohim, or Jehovah, Yahweh, the God that created the world. The Lord says to my Lord, says David. The word that he uses for my Lord is Adonai. The Lord, God Almighty, says to the one who owns me. That's what David says. Because Adonai means to own. We are his possession. And David says in Psalms 110, God Almighty says to the one who owns me, set at my right hand. That's why Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because Peter says on Pentecost, at Pentecost in his sermon, he says, Now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and all power is given unto him. You see, remember when Jesus meets Martha and John and he says to her, don't touch me. I haven't been totally glorified yet. There can be a lot of discussion as to why God, Jesus says that. But my suggestion would be this. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
But that didn't happen on the cross. That happened when Jesus entered the court of the Most High God. And when Jesus entered the court of the Most High God, our God Father, he had to accept that offering. He had to accept the offering that Jesus gave. But he did. Because Jesus says, now all power has been given to me. Go out and make disciples. He sits at the right hand of the Father. If you're standing looking to, to the east, what's on your right hand? The south. Reuben means the son that was given. Now we're in Isaiah, Isaiah 9. For to us, a son is given. He sits at the south. He sits at the right hand. See, when you begin to praise God, it's more than just praising him. It's more than just a song. It's more than just a style. It's more than just a, it's positioning your life in the right direction so that Jesus Christ will be on your right hand because your right hand is your strength. Your right hand is your strength. Jesus Christ is our right hand. He is our savior. He is our power. He is our strength. Simeon is encamped next to Reuben because our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has all power in heaven and earth, who is our King, He is our Adonai, He is ours, He possesses us. And you know why I know that? Because He hears me. He hears me. When I talk with Him, He hears me. He knows how I'm doing. The son has been given to us. We repent, we give our lives to him and we encamp ourselves the way God wanted us to and on our right hand, our savior is our strength and our savior is the one who hears me. Listen, I'm not preaching against anything but you can talk to as many counselors and psychologists as you want to but there will be no one that listens to you better than Jesus Christ your Lord. He will hear you. Why? Because he knows you better than you know yourself. He doesn't, know the, he doesn't only know the pain that you're feeling. He knows where it came from. And he knows why the people that did it, what they were facing. He hears you. That's our strength. And not only that, when he hears you, when he hears you, then Gad means heaven fights for you. On the right hand is God, Son, Jesus Christ, my strength, that hears my pain and is the Prince of Peace, the leader of the hosts of heaven, and he fights for me. On the west side, God says to Moses, on the west side, I want you to encamp Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Those are Rachel's sons. If you remember Levi, he is the priestly. They are in the middle with God. But Joseph was split into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Together with Benjamin, they're on the west side. The west side in the old Hebrew simply means the roar of the ocean. It's the Mediterranean that's to the west in Israel. 
And for them, it was a, it was a, a way of expressing the power of the Spirit of God, right? We read many times about God being a storm or a rushing mighty wind or something that they could hear, but they couldn't see it. And so the West became an illustration of the Spirit of God. That that you can hear and you can feel it, but you can't touch it. You can't get a hold of it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. On the West side, I want Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. Benjamin to be camped there because it's in the West with the Holy Spirit that Peter said we receive when we're baptized. It is our inheritance. It is what we are filled with. What did Jesus do when he received all power and all authority in heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father? What did he do? He poured out the Holy Spirit over us. It's our inheritance. It's our strength. The first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is I'm going to thank Jesus for not being stingy. Because I'm sorry to say, but if it had been me or you, we might have held on to it. Because it was the power that absolutely created the universe. And Jesus was holding it, seated at the right hand of the Father. Would it not have been tempting to keep it? Be honest with yourself. It's okay. I'm not going to tell anybody. But he didn't keep it. He poured it out over us. It's our inheritance. That's what Ephraim means. Ephraim means my inheritance. The double blessing of the Spirit of God. In in the Holy Spirit, when he fills us with the Holy Spirit, we begin to experience Manasseh in our lives. That's where we begin to forget the past. The healing begins to happen. The healing begins to come and we are restored by the power of the Holy Spirit. David, he writes, and I know you've heard it many, many times, but he writes, as far as the east is from the west, my sins are forgotten. And now I've heard that, and I'm not saying it's wrong, it's right. But I've always heard that preached as distance. Physical distance. But I've come to believe that it's much more than that. I've come to believe that between our praise and our speaking in tongues, our sins are forgotten. If you want to be healed of what you've been through in your life, begin to praise Him and begin to let the Holy Spirit speak into your life. And you will forget the past. The Holy Spirit won't give you 12 steps to a better life. The Holy Spirit will give you the inheritance of the Most High God. And you will forget because He will restore you. Do you know what the... The idea of healing is in the kingdom of God. You know, in our day and age, we talk about we go and we get treatment. And I thank God for our, our health systems. We have wonderful health systems. But we make people better. God doesn't make people better. He restores them. And in the old Hebrew, the word for healing, it simply means to remove you from your pain back to the place you were before the pain. 
it restores you to what God originally wanted you. On the north side is Dan. On the north side, God said to Moses, I want you to encamp Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Because that is the left side. And the left side is the no side. The right side is the yes side. The right side is the acceptance side. But listen, you cannot love if you cannot say no. Unfortunately, we live in a time where love has to always be yes. But you can't truly love someone or something unless you can say no. And on the north side is Dan, the judge of the whole universe. That's what Dan means. The word of God is our guiding light. It is our foundation that we stand on. It is where we go when we need to have a reason as to why we cannot be a part of something that's going on in the world around us. It is God's holy word. That is what we stand on. That is what I use when I need a no in my life. It's not my own thoughts. It's not my own explanations. What does the word of God say? Because God, through his word, judges us. He is Elohim. That is the expression that is used in Genesis 1.1. When the sages wrote the books of Moses. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim, the great judge, created the heavens and the earth. Because when a judge speaks, it's law. No one can change that. God said to Moses, I want you to put on this side, I want you to put my judgment. I want you to put my word. Because it will be your guiding light. What is God's judgment over you? You ever thought about that? It has birthed a lot of very negative religions. In the world. But Jesus says to us in John 10.10. 10, I have come. That you would have life. And life abundant. God has judged us. And he has judged us to life. Life eternal. He has forgiven us. He has been merciful to us. He has showed us grace. And he says. My judgment is life. And life eternal. That's our judge. That's why the whole the, the Bible, that's where I put my foundation. That is what I use when I need a little guidance in my life. Because his word is my judgment. As it said in Psalm 119, 105, it's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. It keeps me going right. But the only way I can keep moving forward in a positive manner is if I have something that can say no. That's the word of God. It keeps me in line. So many times in my life I have searched God and he's given me a word that has been right on spot for what I'm dealing with. Keeps me going in the right direction. When Jesus went through the wilderness, he came back into the Galilee 
And he came back to the Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit. He had the power of the Holy Spirit. Galilee comes from an ancient Hebrew word that's only used twice in the Old Testament. David uses it once. He uses it in Psalm 39, verse 16. And there it says that God has seen my unformed body. It's very difficult to to translate this word because it means that God sees you for who you are. Not today. Not Sunday in Jupiter, Florida. He sees you from the time of Adam to all the way into eternity. He sees you in one consistent flow. He sees everything about you. The second time it's used, it's used when Elijah takes Elisha across the Jordan into the wilderness again. And when Elijah comes to the river Jordan, he takes his mantle off, and that word mantle is the same word. He takes his identity off. God sees him from the beginning all through eternity. Listen, I know times can be tough. And I know we can go through things that we are ashamed of and we struggle with. But God doesn't judge us on this day. He judges us in the long run as to what he wants to use us for, what he's going to do. And Elijah took that off and he struck the Jordan and it parted. And he went through. And Elisha said, I want that blessing. I want to know that God sees me from Adam to eternity. And I want to know that he loves me. And that's why Elisha, when he comes back to the Jordan, he says this. The God of Elijah, if you're the same, then show yourself as the same. And that's why Elisha became such a great power in the kingdom of God. He sees us in our entirety because he wants to use us. So see that Sunday morning when those two came in from Cairo, Egypt and said, my son has been martyred. I'm broken. I don't know where to go. We could fall into each other's arms and we could cry. And we could know that there's a God that loves us. That he will lead us through the most difficult times in life. And that's where the Holy Spirit whispered into my ear. I took you to the wilderness to heal you so that you could stand here this morning and show them my love. And that's why we're here. Amen. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you. We can only bow before you in all humility and all humbleness. And thank you because you are so much greater than we are. But Father, I thank you that in your word you have buried the treasures of the patterns that you have created in life that will bring us healing. And I thank you that whoever we are and whatever we've been through and whatever we're facing and whatever we're fighting with, all things work together. For the good. For those that have been called. By your divine will. Father I thank you that. 
every one of us here today has something to give because you have led us through the battles of this life. Father, we are the ones to show the world that they can be judged to life and not to death. Father, you have given us the opportunity of learning your patterns so that we can be transformed into something much greater, the light of Jesus Christ in our times. Father, I thank you for this. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Were you blessed by that word? So, go ahead up here with the, you can begin to play something, whatever you do, you do well. <laughs> Aren't you thankful for our keyboardist? She's your blessing. So it's interesting to me what we're going to do in just a minute, if you'd stand with me this morning. I'm going to give Joel the opportunity to pray. He lets me do that at his church, so now we're going to turn you loose here. We're going to dismiss in just a minute. And if you would like prayer, Joel's going to be right here at the front to pray with you and agree. You know, there's a message as preachers, we get to preach a lot of things because we're leading our church to grow. But there's also a message that God gives a man that is unique to anything else that he lays on a lot of men's hearts. How many of you got a good word today? It's interesting, I was thinking about that, thinking, you know, Joel, you're just about to turn 60. Just did. Happy birthday. I missed your birthday. I did. Sorry about that. He's hurt. I'll buy you a cake. Things that I've learned over the years and already in the 50s. Some of you are going through some things right now. You're still learning. Still growing. And, and, and you're, you're like, man, I'm going to have to wait a long time to get all this. Listen, God's time, not your time. Some of you are in the midst of the stuff. He went through a long period before God gave him this. It's powerful. You've got to put that in the book. We're going to help you get there. But some of you need to come down and be prayed for. You're in the middle of your wilderness. You're still in the middle of the thing. You're going through stuff in your life. And you're still getting everything that God wants to do in you. And it's worth it. I want you to look at me. It's worth it. The cool thing is, you'll never stop growing. You'll never stop. That healing is powerful. And the dimensions that it will bring out in you as you minister to others. And listen, I love that. That's the fun thing about serving Jesus. It just doesn't stop. It, the wisdom, the power, the way that he'll begin to move through your life. If you will continue to allow him to do his work in you. Some of you are in the middle of the patterns. Listen, some of you need to be here Wednesday night. Let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. How many of you thought that was good? Listen, you won't hurt my feelings if you're all here on Wednesday night. And Joel has way more people than I get to preach to on Wednesday night. You will not hurt my feelings. But you need to be here to hear the rest of that. Father, this morning we thank you for being in this place. Thank you that we're not conforming but being transformed. I thank you, Lord, that you're taking us as a church deeper into understanding your word. So much is there. I thank you this morning that there is a work you're doing 
And I pray that as those who come forward for prayer, that they will know we start with praise. Thank you that you're God. Thank you that you're faithful. And we believe it. And so as we come forward this morning, for those that will come to the front and receive prayer, I thank you that you will do a fresh work today. While you've always been doing it, there'll be a fresh understanding, a fresh knowing. And I thank you that there'll be a new beginning. And we'll give you praise for it. Bless your people as we leave this place. Continue to let your glory be in this church. In your name. And everyone said amen. You're dismissed. If you'd like prayer, Joel will be right here at the front to come and agree with you. We'll just keep that the keyboard playing.